We sang in the, in the song, God is bigger than the air we breathe. And I, would, I, I thought of that, struck with that for the first time. I'm thinking about it and think, you know, we, we don't even give thought to the fact that what sustains us is our breath. That's how we live. And God is bigger than what we think just even in the air we breathe. The sustaining power and resource of God is, is something that um, we just, again, take for granted, like air. But he's so much greater. So as we look at this series, and we're talking about Jesus still heals, and I've been talking about the fact that what struck me when I was going through my own quiet times and devotions was Matthew 8 and 9, and I was looking at all these healing accounts that followed this teaching. And then as I looked further into it and, and studied it, I found in chapter 4, verse 23, it talks about the characteristic of Jesus' ministry. And you go to chapter 9, about verse 35, and you have almost the same statement. These bookends that talk about declaring the kingdom reality and then demonstrating that reality. And then in chapter 9, the very end of it, in chapter 10, he goes out and says, now do it. Do it. Live in the reality of my kingdom. I want to ask you a question. It could be the result of an unexpected announcement of illness or some other form of unexpected tragedy. Or it could be a financial setback. It could be a relational breakup. It could be something that happened to your kids. What do you do when the storms come into your life and they begin to rage? What we're going to look at today is we looked at three healing accounts and then a call to follow, live and do that reality. And now Matthew sets out for another three miraculous accounts. This one, when a storm comes unexpectedly and Jesus steps up and heals this raging storm of wind and waves. And I want to ask you, how do you respond? How are you responding right now to some of the things that, that may be in your life or someone who's come to you in, in their own sense of difficulty? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we're, we're asking that you would make um, us more aware of what it means to, to know you and to follow you. Help us, each one of us, to take that next step. Help us to lead other people in that next step, whether it's for the first time helping someone come into a relationship and an encounter with you, or whether it's many, many steps down the road. Or maybe there's someone who still steps away and they're just working through stuff and we're just walking with them. So God, wherever that is, we invite your Holy Spirit and presence to speak to these words in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was asking myself when I looked at this passage of Scripture and was reading it, is how, how is it that some people can sleep through about anything, right? Do you have, is there someone in your family, who, you know, they go to sleep and it's like the world can shake around them and, and nothing wakes them? Anybody ever had a newborn baby? Is it not amazing how a newborn baby can be in the arms of a mother and everything can be breaking loose around that baby and that baby is as content as can be still sleeping away? How do soldiers, when we, we talk about Memorial Day, how do they actually sleep sometimes in the midst of bombs bursting in air? 
Our bedroom in our home is partially covered over the garage. And, and often, um, Grace, my wife, will ask me in the morning, did you hear the come, kids come home last night? And I'll always respond, almost always, no. Part of it is I'm partially deaf in one ear, so I sleep with like this, and I can't hear hardly anything. So how is it that Jesus can get in a boat with a bunch of other guys, head to the stern, find a cushion, curl up on it, and fall fast asleep like a baby? Why, a handful of guys, as they're in the midst of this incredible storm that is throwing the boat all over the place, trying to keep it from going over, how in the world can he be sleeping? It almost makes you wonder, can this be true? I'm, I'm sure there's people who read these and go, yeah, another fanciful story, right? Well, let's look a little bit at this. You have to understand a bit about Jesus and his ministry and how incredibly exhausted he was when he stepped into that boat. It says in Matthew 8, and we'll begin, let's just read first Matthew 8, verses 23, the story. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him without a warning. A furious storm came up on the lakes of the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping, and the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. How could he be sleeping? How could he get up and be so calm? Well, first you have to understand just how exhausted Jesus was. Verse 18 of Matthew 8 says that when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he sees them coming, he gives orders, he commands, we need to go to the other side of the lake. Because Jesus intended to get away. Knowing there's a limited amount of boats, he knew if he got in that boat, there may be a few boats that would follow, but he could get away from the crowd. That's what he was doing. He was heading actually into Gentile territory. When we follow the story, you'll see you go to the other side, to the, to the Gadarenes or Gerasene area, which was a totally Gentile area. And he was going to get away because he didn't want these followers after him any longer. He needed a break. And a number of people, I'm sure, got into a few boats to try and follow him. Mark indicates this when you read chapter 4, verse 36. It says that leaving the crowd behind, the disciples, they took him along. Listen to this. Just as he was in the boat, there were other boats with him. Mark is basically saying that Jesus gave orders to them. He got in the boat. He was so exhausted. He got to the back. He laid down. He fell asleep while the disciples were getting all the sails and everything all rigged up. As they get it all rigged up and they start pushing away, as they get a little bit out into the water, Jesus is fast asleep. He's sound asleep. And I love how... This story reads, it's just so simple and I think so helpful because when you look at this, Jesus looks at the crowd after he's been exhausted in ministry. And we'll talk about that in a second. He sees them and he says to those guys, we need to get away because he knew this. He needed to pay attention to his own body, his own physical, emotional, mental and spiritual resources. 
Jesus, I think, looked at his dashboard, saw the indicator lights on it, and he saw each of those areas of his tanks on the low side. They were hitting the red margin. And you need to realize, the very first thing I want us to look at when we talk about, again, this whole aspect of illness or your own life, is the idea that you need to pay attention to your own body. There is a preventative measure when you look at Jesus and how he responds to this situation. And in our culture, I don't think we do that real well. I don't think, um, especially those who are baby boomers and older, we were not taught a lot about paying attention to our body. We were, we were I think, pushed to the limits often. I, myself, um, I find myself doing that where I don't pay attention to my body. I, I, I like to run, and so about three months ago, two and a half months ago, is that really nice weather? And so I decided I'm going to run outside rather than in the, the uh, workout place that I go to. And, and as I'm running, I'm feeling about halfway through it, my knee getting sore. And I thought, not a big deal. I'm just going to keep I just kept running. I ran and, I, and it was a little bit sore that day. So the next day I go out to run. I'm three miles into it. I'm through the whole thing. It's sore. Now it's beginning to throb. Now, you've got to understand, I think some of you who maybe have played sports, remember, you kind of, you, you have this, this feel like you, you play through the pain, you ignore the symptoms, you just go on and you just push through it, right? Now, I pushed through it to about the third and a half mile, and I was, I, I pulled up and was walking, and my knee was throbbing, and I started hobbling along, and I haven't been able to run since. I don't know whether I um, would have prevented potentially now have to have orthoscopic surgery on my knee or not. But I do know this. I think a lot of us live that way, don't we? I think a lot of us don't pay attention well to our body. We push ourselves. And Jesus, if you read what he does, he had spent the day before teaching and healing. And this is just the day before. If you, especially in the book of Mark, you can see this. You, you see this path of his... his um, of his energy. And I believe there's probably a few days even before this that he was ministering one day after another. But if you just pay attention the day before, according to Mark in his gospel, Jesus taught in the synagogue. In the synagogue, a guy begins to manifest a demonic spirit. He exercises and, and takes care of that demonic spirit. He goes home, probably intending to eat. He comes to Peter's home where his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, is ill. He then takes time to heal Peter's mother-in-law. Now we're getting probably a little bit into the afternoon, late afternoon. He probably eats. He maybe gets a nap in if he's lucky. And then it says in, in Mark that the whole, the whole town is standing at his door, waiting, because sunset has occurred, Sabbath is over, and they're waiting to be ministered to. And then we're told that Jesus, after that whole evening of meeting and dealing and praying with people, I can tell you from ministry when you're using your, your energy emotionally and, and you're, you're mentally engaged and you're, you're there with that person spiritually, how draining that is. Here is Jesus does that to that night. And then we read in Mark, he says, very early in the next, the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions, they get up hours later than Jesus. They grab some eggs and bacon. No, probably not the bacon. That's my own little part. But anyway, and they went out to look for him. 
And when they found him, it says they exclaimed, listen to this, everyone is looking for you. And so they take Jesus back and Jesus comes back. And that's where you get this word in Matthew chapter eight. When it says that he looked at the crowd, he just said, we're going over to the other side. He had spent time before his father. He had spent time alone enough to be able to pay attention to what he needed to do in ministry as well as what he needed to do to take care of himself. And Matthew tells us that Jesus, when he was exhausted, paid attention to his body. Because he knew that his body was God's temple where his Holy Spirit resided. And Jesus looks at the crowd. He gave orders. He didn't suggest. He didn't, he didn't think it was a good idea. He didn't ask for a vote. He set up some boundaries and said, guys, we're going. Which is what some people need to do in your life in some situations, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically. There are some boundaries at times you need to set up and you say, you know what? I need to take care of this. I need to take care of my own self at this moment. So Jesus took care of his body and he got in the boat. He was so exhausted. He fell asleep as they pulled away. He just slept through the storm. The Apostle Paul is quite adamant about our taking care of our bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? If you have opened your heart and soft before God and said, I want you to be a part of my life, God. I, I recognize that my life, um, the way I've lived it, and, 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 and I recognize my need of you. I recognize that I, I need you to forgive me for things that I have done against others that have hurt them and also offended you. If you've opened your heart and you've invited Jesus to come into your life to walk with you and an incredible thing happens in your life. You are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now in your body actually resides the presence of God. So that Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says something to us. He says, listen, folks, this isn't just your own little physical body. It is, it is the vehicle that houses the work of God in you. So do not know that your body is the temple. The Holy Spirit is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price through Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your body. Pay attention to your body. Look at our Lord Jesus, who saw a crowd and said, I've got to put a boundary. How much of our illness, think about it for a second, is a result of our own poor choices? What part of our healing are we called upon to be with God in? I was away um, with some friends back in early um, part of spring. My one friend's a medical doctor from Atlanta. And I'm talking with him, and all of a sudden he looks at me and he goes, you better check that little thing out on your face right there. I, I said, this here? And I said, yeah. I said, that's his blemish. He goes, yeah, I want you to go in. And so I went in and they found about four other of these little things on my face. I could have ignored it. I, I have ignored those kind of things. What's your responsibility for your own health? And I, I have a sense that I might get some people angry with me in pushing this a little bit more, okay? I don't mean any of this to lay guilt or shame. I don't know 
the physiological things that are going on, the psychological roots, the emotional things. I, I don't know those things, but I do know this, that Jesus paid attention to his body. And if we're going to be followers after him, we also need to do the same. And, and so this is, this is not a guilt thing. It's not like I'm, any of us should be walking around judging one another. We're not called to do that. But we are called just to speak out some truth. So I, I'm going to just share with us, what about our own physical weight? As followers of Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus with regard to what you eat? I I honestly think I was watching a a show the other day on TV and they showed this this group of people was back in the either late 50s, early 60s. And they were having a picnic. And as they're having the picnic, they they got up, they took the picnic basket and they left like the pop cans and the papers and everything on the thing. And I was like horrified. You know, because we've grown up now in this culture that you don't leave trash around like that, right? But I remember a day when I was, when it was in the 60s when you did do that. I, I honestly think sometime in, a, in the next few years we will probably see, and whether you like it or not, um, whether you have a judgment on it, we will probably see on menus things that are there, which you're already beginning to see, that, that it causes us to say we need to take care of our body. And I think someday, 20 years from now, people look back and go, I can't believe they supersized everything. Right? I think 20 years from now, our, some of you, your great-grandkids or your grandkids or whatever, are going to look back and they're going to see some of these things and they're going to go, I can't believe that you ate all that fried stuff. Now, that's my own theory, but anyway. What does it mean to, to exercise? To place some boundaries around your life to take this body that God has given you. And I know it says in God's word for physical training is of value, but, but godliness is of greater value. That's a lot of times a cop out because we go, see, I'm just godly, but who cares about my body? No. What does it mean to follow Jesus with regard to checking spots in your skin or lumps in your breast or, or colonoscopies or yearly physicals on and on people of God? What does that mean? What does it mean to treat your body as a temple it is? Putting on sunscreen. Or do you carelessly put your body in no-win situations? And you know the guy in Top Gun, as he says, son, as he's flying this airplane for the government, you know, this jet. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. And so if we truly want to be like Jesus, you know what, folks, sometimes... One of the greatest spiritual exercises you can do is take a nap. Some of you are going, I love that, Pastor. I'm going to do that one this afternoon. Do you know that? Spiritually, some of the, maybe the best thing you could do is curl up in the back of a boat and just sleep. And pay attention to your body. Because God has given it to you to house His Holy Spirit. It is through your body that He does your works. And the day your body dies in this earth, you won't be able to do those works. And so there really is, when we talk about healing, you cannot help but as you come to this passage of Scripture, see that Jesus was very much concerned about preventative maintenance with regard to caring for Himself. And so let's continue. Verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and his disciples followed him. And without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. 
And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Not only was he paying attention to his body, but one of the things I want to call you as you look at the scripture, call you to, to really pay attention to is to be aware of the temptation when storms hit. There is truly a temptation when the storm hits. If you note these little words, without warning, a furious storm came up. Most often, trials that really lay us out are the ones that come without warning. They just hit you. And the ones that really lay you out are the ones that are furious. In fact, the Greek word talks about it, the catastrophic character of this storm. This is no usual storm. This is an incredible storm of great magnitude. And a really good translation for this would be this was an earthquake of a storm that came up. And here is Peter who does all he can do. And you have to understand, a number of those disciples were fishermen, sailors. They knew this lake. They had fished on this lake. They were incredibly competent. In fact, many believe that Peter and Andrew and others owned a business or their own businesses together and they were really some of the better fishermen in that area. And so they're in this boat and they've had storms come up on this lake. They've had storms that have come up without a warning. But the ones that really lay a person out as competent and gifted and resourceful as you may be are the ones that come without any warning at all. They hit you so hard. They're like an earthquake. And what happens is they're beyond your competency. You don't have the resources. You don't have the resources, whether it's financial. You don't have the resources, whether it's mental. You don't have the resources even emotionally because you may be drained they hit you with such force that you are doing all that you can to keep your life afloat and you're like Peter you're bailing and you're taking those things and you're looking at that water and you're throwing it out of the boat and here's Peter the really competent good fisherman who's kind of the captain of the boat he's trying to keep the thing from going over in, 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 in just Everyone drowning. And I think in his mind, he's looking around and he's counting the different people in the boat and he's counting them out. And one is missing. He needs every hand on deck. He needs everybody to bail. And he runs to the back with a few of the disciples and they come with a sense of, I think, almost like what in the world are you doing? But also with the sense of you can do some pretty great things. We need you now. Right. And here's the temptation. Here's the temptation when things seem out of control. The temptation is to blame God. The temptation is to to run to the back when the storm is out of control and, and to run and say and find, in a sense, Jesus sleeping. Matthew says that the disciples went and woke him and they said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. But Mark states, and Mark was really written, many believe Mark had Peter with him and Peter was really the one behind the writing of this gospel of Mark. So you get almost a fresh look, a real look at Peter. So you could say Peter with Mark wrote, here's what he wrote in verse 38, chapter 4. The disciples woke Jesus and said to him, Rabbi. Don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? My life is is a mess. Things are out of control. I've been just told I have terminal cancer. I've been just told that my heart is going to have to have an operation on. I have been just told that um, that my neighbor or my friend has had a stroke. I've been just told that someone that I know and that I love, their child has committed suicide. I have just heard. Where in the what are you doing? Are you sleeping? Don't you care, God? 
Don't you care? I've been praying and you don't seem to hear. You're not answering. I came to you and I prayed in faith and I said and did all those things. I anointed and my, I was anointed with oil for healing and I've done this and yet there still wasn't a healing. Don't you care? That's the temptation. And I know some of you are facing that right now. And you're just, you're just wondering. And we don't know what God's doing. We don't know what God is doing sometimes when he brings us to the end of our personal limits and, and then he begins to build into the character of our soul for whatever purpose. Or he brings us to the end of our limits because he wants us to begin to still stretch out in faith and to still pray and to still persevere. And in some cases to pray for five years, or for some cases, 10 years, for some cases, 20 years. As you follow God. But the temptation is to accuse God of not caring, not being concerned. And I can promise you this, that is not the truth. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because God knows your situation, he sees it, and he loves you, and he is there. Present. Sustaining you. Bigger than the air you breathe. He is with you. Again, if you look at the text, it says that Jesus gets up, rubbing his eyes, the bolt probably moving around or something. You know, just imagine it. And he looks at him and he goes, oh, you guys of little faith. Little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and they said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey Him. It's all about trust. Not only are we to take care and be aware in the sense of attending to our body and aware of the temptation to, to accuse God of not caring, but Jesus comes back and says right now to you, calm down. Calm down. You know the little birds... Not one of them falls without the Father seeing it. You know, the flowers in the field, he's still watching over them. He basically says to these guys, trust the reality that is not seen. You may not see it and even experience it in this moment, but trust this unseen reality. You know, the reason Jesus could sleep like he was was not just he was exhausted, but he knew that in the storm... That his heavenly father was there. His father's presence allowed his heart to stay calm, even though the storm around him was raging. Jesus knew some things about his life. You hear it in John a number of times. John picks up on this and Jesus would look at his disciples and to others and say, you know, my hour hasn't come. My hand, my life is in completely in God's hands. Jesus would look around and he would see very clearly as he looked at all the things going around. He knew that this whole world and even himself was completely sustained by his father and through the Holy Spirit working in him. He was able to go throughout his life. He was able to do the most courageous things. He would look in the eye of his enemies who would accuse him, who out of their self-righteousness would, would seek to actually, as it says, plot to kill him. And he would look them in the eyes out of courage. And be able to say the truth because he knew he was in his father's hands and they could not touch him till the hour that God allowed it. And he lived that way. 
I remember um, sometimes, I, like, I'll fly, I especially flew a lot in my last job, and I'd get on the plane, and, and I remember one time a person being really uncomfortable and said, why are you so calm? And I said, well, I just said, you can calm down because I don't believe it's my hour yet to go. And, and I wasn't trying to kid. I just had that sense. The unseen reality is that even though we're not in control, whether an illness, a financial setback, some kind of relational, whatever the storm you face, the unseen reality is that though we aren't in control, God is. And you may not be able to control the circumstances, but you do have control about what you believe. And sometimes that's even difficult, isn't it? When the storm hits so hard, it's sometimes even difficult to hold on to that. And yet he says, trust. You can exercise your faith knowing that there is one who really does care and has the ability with a word to calm any storm whenever, wherever, however he wants. And that's what Matthew's pointing to in all these miracles. With a word, Jesus would heal. And in this story in Mark, it says that Jesus stood up, he looked at the sky, and he said, quiet. And it got calm. Now I want you just to read with me in closing these, these, these statements. I'm going to ask us to stand to do this. They're, they're found in Psalms chapter 29, and it gives you an idea who this Jesus is who is involved in your life. And we're going to read these together because the people in Jesus' day, when he went to the Jews, those who had been into the synagogue, those who had been trained, they had strong training in, in the Old Testament. They knew these words. And that's why they would ask the question, who is this man? Let's read these together. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The next one. Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. And the Lord is enthroned as king forever. Psalm 89. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. And this verse is the one that I think has to come to mind. Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end, and then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let's pray. Father, there are people right now who have been bailing like crazy. And you're here to say, call upon me. There are some, God, who have called upon you. 
and they are tempted to feel like you don't care. But God, we know you do. And Father, there are some who you're just waiting for them to call on you. And with a word, you will calm that. And the promises to each and every one of us, you will lead us exactly to that haven that you have prepared for us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.